0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and today we are in for a treat because not only do we have a Residential Assisted Living Specialist, which um, you may not know this, but Residential Assisted Living Specialist is actually trademarked and uh, that's what she is. Her name is Michelle uh, Pinkowski and Michelle is an attorney. She focuses solely on assisted living. She does both her own and she also represents, as an attorney, developers of assisted living facilities. So we're very, very uh, grateful to have her. Michelle, say hi to the audience.
1: Hi Adam, thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's really, really good to have you. Tell us a little bit about kind of what brought you into where you are today.
1: Well, you know, I just love the real estate space and I've been working with developers for many, many years as a lawyer and working with large uh, multifamily Class A developers And uh, then started working at the policy level with governments to help with construction permitting and spatial planning and stuff like that. So I was helping as an advisor, but always kind of wanted to get my own uh, foot in the water, you know. And so we started to research how to best do that, looked at multifamily, which is how we met, I think, um, but also then came across assisted living and uh, really just took to that. It really spoke to our heart and and, uh, where we wanted to go. So that's the last year we've been really focusing on assisted living.
0: Awesome. I appreciate you going over that. So I do have a few questions for you. What is residential assisted living? Let's just get that out uh, right here at the start.
1: Oh, sure. Well, you know, a lot of times we talk about it as senior housing, but it doesn't just apply to seniors. It can apply to it, people uh, with other disabilities, developmentally disabled, or even recovering addicts. Basically, it's establishing a group home level type of um, home in a residential area, which is why it's called residential assisted living. It's distinguished from like the big boxes, you know, you can drive around town and see the big boxes for, you know, where we can warehouse old people. If like, don't mind me saying it that way, <laughs> um, but residential assisted living is a, a bit more um, intimate in the sense of it's a family setting. You know, it's in an actual home, and you cook the meals in an actual home kitchen. You have bedrooms. You know, you don't walk 200 feet down to the dining room. You just walk down the hall, and there's there's your you know dining table, and you have, you know, it depends on state, but it could be six to 12 or maybe even 16 people in a home.
0: Okay. Okay. So is that is that the limit then? Is 16 people in a home or could it be 20? Let me just kind of challenge you.
1: Well, it could be 20. Actually, I was just reading a case the other day where 20 w- was allowed in a home. Um, but that's kind of where I come in on the legal side because it's not predetermined. Every jurisdiction, meaning every little city or every county or town or Back on the East Coast, they have like parishes and townships, things like that. Every planning jurisdiction has its own zoning code, and that is what's going to determine how many people can go in that uh, group home or residential assisted living. So sometimes people have a hard time uh, sorting that out. You know, not everybody loves to read zoning regulations. So that's where I come in to help them figure out how many people they can have in a house and to find the perfect location.
0: Okay, and since you brought up zoning, you're recognized as an industry innovator uh, here in the Residential Assisted Living, uh, at, at Residential Assisted Living Academy, um, and I believe that you authored the online course, Zoning Hacks, to get you started fast? I
1: did, yeah.
0: Tell, what is, what? tell us about that, it's an online course, right? So it's is, an it, on- is it videos or what? what is it?
1: Yeah, it's an online course, it's uh, seven videos. It's just me, you know, I just try not to be too boring as a lawyer who wants to watch lawyer videos, but it's, it's less than two hours, but it's a great um, primer kind of a course for people who aren't so familiar with zoning, um, because what, what we saw happening in the space is that people would go to, for example, Jean Garino's Residential Assisted Living Academy, which is a fantastic place to start if you're interested in this area. And they'd come out and they'd be really, really excited and start looking for a house and then kind of be like, oh, they say, I can't put it here. I don't know if I can put it here or there, or but the HOA says that I can't. And so they're running into these um, barriers that really, in many cases, can only be like speed bumps, but they're turning into brick walls because they just didn't know how to approach it. So. I developed this online course where people, because we know a lot of people in the real estate space want to know how to do it themselves, right? So this teaches them how to do it themselves to figure out in a really fast way what the zoning is for any particular
0: area. Okay, is this a paid course? It is, yeah. It's
1: a small fee, but it's it's less than what you'd uh, pay to hire a lawyer to do it. Although okay. I'll, I'll note I'm happy to do it for people, but you know this is a lot cheaper way to do it. It's $2.99.
0: And how do people find it?
1: It's on my website.
0: Okay. And that's the is that the Pinkowski Law.com or a different website?
1: Yeah, it's on Pinkowski Law, but because that's kind of hard to spell, I also have another way to get there. Uh alr-lawyer.com has in assisted living residence-lawyer dot com. And there's a section that says learning center. So people can just go to that learning center and click on.
0: Excellent. Okay. Thank you for going over that. So, I have, uh, I have three questions that I really wanted to dive in because with you and your specific expertise, I think you'd probably be the best to answer it. So, if somebody is interested in assisted living, uh, what are some legal issues that they really need to be aware of?
1: Well, the first thing is how to set up the, um, the entity So in assisted living, you have two things. You have the property and you have a business because it's not just like buying a single family home and renting it out. You need to have one entity that owns the real estate and another entity that operates the business. So that's the first thing to realize. The second thing to realize is that it is a regulated industry. So you can't just open up a group home. Well, let me go back. If you want to serve the senior population or disabled population, you need to be licensed from the state. That's true in most states. You know, some, there are some states out there like Indiana, I think has a little bit looser rules, but most states, if you want to serve seniors and disabled, you need a license. So you need to be aware of that. Um, if you want to open a sober home, you don't always have to have a license. That's different in every state. And then the third issue is the zoning. You know, you got to understand that local jurisdictions are going to have some say in what you can do in a particular home so you need to be aware of that before you go out and spend a lot of money to buy the the property
0: awesome thanks for going over that so the three things that you that really come up when you're looking at um, starting your own assisted living is first understanding that there's the property versus the business that runs the that actually runs the assisted living. And the second thing is licensing because a lot of the different things, especially if you're if it's a uh, assisted living for um, older folks that are, that are uh, well, basically just certain different classes of people, you need to actually have that license, right? And then the third one is, is the zoning going to be appropriate? Those are the three main things to look at when, um, with regard to the law.
1: Yeah, that's right. And also to know that when you're serving a population of disabled people, and all those categories I've talked about are considered disabled under the law, then you are covered by the Fair Housing Act. So even if the zoning code or the HOA wants to say, no, no, you can't locate here, that might not be the end of the story. There's the Fair Housing Act that comes in, and, and I help a lot of people um, break through those initial no's to get to the the yes using the Fair Housing Act.
0: Can you give us a, one example of, of that? Well,
1: for example, um, there was a, uh, a smaller city near Austin, Texas. I had a client down there who purchased a home, and they went in to get their construction permit, and their they're pro forma, they had planned on having 12 people in their home. And they went to get their construction permit and the city said, no, you can only have six. So we approached the planning department using the Fair Housing Act and convinced them and now they're, they're working on um, increasing that number. The same thing happened here in Colorado where both of us live. Uh, one of our counties, they initially said, no, you can't have the number of people that you want or actually you can't even do it here. And we approached the planning department using the Fair Housing Act, and we got approval for sixteen.
0: Awesome. Okay, so that is really good thing to bring up, but because just kind of thinking about this uh, assisted living, it can be very lucrative uh, uh, business to run, uh, very rewarding business. But at the same time, a lot of your residents are are paying uh, upwards of two, three, four, five, six, eight thousand dollars per person per month right and i i would say that the difference between in that small city you were talking about i think you said in texas um in that small city where they wanted to have 12 let's just say times 5 that's what 60 grand a month versus uh what the city was originally saying they could have which was 6 which is you know 30 grand a month or or i might be doing the math wrong but it's it's that's a giant giant difference especially when you have to pay Staff and and keep up with your licensing, right?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we know, especially here in the Colorado property market, it's not cheap to buy a place. You know, so you have to cover the property, you have to cover, you know, if you're buying an existing home to remodel it to be appropriate. And like you said, there's staffing and there's operational costs. So uh, that's one thing that the Fair Housing Act um, says, and the case law says uh, under it is that one argument to request a a waiver or what's called reasonable accommodation under the act is that you have to reach a certain level of residence to make it financially viable. So that the financial viability is a reason to request a waiver under the Fair Housing Act or reasonable accommodation.
0: Wow. Very, very interesting. I'm glad we got into that. So the second thing that I really wanted to ask is what if the, a city tells somebody that's trying to actually get into this business what if the city says that they're they're not allowed to even put a group home in the whole area
1: yeah we have a city in in uh, Boulder County where I live that says exactly that that says that you know if you're in a residential area you can have uh, chickens and goats and potbellied pigs but you can't put any old people in there or any other group home um, and so to be honest that is a blatant violation of the Fair Housing Act so what I usually tell people is first of all, Look for the path of least resistance. And if you do my course or if you have me help you do your zoning analysis, we can analyze because you know that's one city in a county with a lot of other jurisdictions. So the first question is can you just go someplace else that's going to be easier? But the next uh, issue is and we have uh, I have some clients out on the east coast where they can't just go anyplace else because. That particular state just hasn't, you know, really come into this century to recognize that this is an important use that we need now that all the baby boomers are getting older. So we have to educate them and we go in and, and we meet with them or and we write some letters and say, well, look, this is actually what the use is going to be. It's going to look just like a home. It's not going to, you know, cause additional traffic. Um, we're good neighbors. And by the way, the Fair Housing Act says that you have to allow us to be here. So that's the first approach. I mean, you know, nobody, there are other legal approaches that involve lawsuits and stuff and, but nobody really wants to go there. I know, but there, there are ways of getting to a yes on the right location without having to actually file a lawsuit. All
0: right. So I, I one with uh, this conversation, I actually came up with another question that that happened um, here in Colorado. So instead of having a third last question, I have uh, two more, two more. So the the next one is all about the HOAs because there's a lot of HOAs that seem to want to restrict this. So where um, where does that fit in if somebody wants to put a home into an HOA? What is what do they have to go around? to communicate with the HOA? Can the HOA keep them out completely or does that violate the, the Fair Housing Act? Can you kind of go into really the, the, the intricacies of working within uh, a, a homeowner's association?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. That one comes up a lot because, you know, it's hard to find neighborhoods anymore without HOAs. So the first thing is if you can find a neighborhood without an HOA, that's probably, again, the path of least resistance, but it's hard. And there are some beautiful houses in HOA. So the short answer is an HOA cannot keep a group home out of the neighborhood. No matter how much they want to say that in their covenants or in their meetings, they cannot keep a group home out of the neighborhood because the Fair Housing Act says that disabled people have as much right to live in those residential areas as non-disabled people. So but, like any you know, there' are people on the board. So you know whether it's the HOA or the planning department, the first thing is to try to approach them in a nice, friendly way. Um, I always recommend to people that you need to know what your rights are before you have those conversations because, you know, you need to be armed with that information. So if you can consult an attorney or do your research before you go into the conversation, that really helps. Um, but the, th- the second thing is, To just approach them and see, you know, is this going to be a fight or do they recognize that their covenants have some language that's not enforceable? And then the third thing is going with a lawyer, either in in person or uh, with a letter. So I write a lot of letters. Um, I work with lawyers in other states where I provide the Fair Housing Act expertise, and then they write the letters. And so we can work uh, a number of ways. But usually when... Uh, people on the HOA board understand what the law actually is, then, you know, they'll be more accommodating.
0: Okay. And I keep coming up with new questions the more you talk. So the very next question is, what about parking? And especially within the HOA, maybe they would say something like this. You have to have one parking space per adult who's living there or something like this and which if you wanted to have 16 people in a HOA but you only had two or four spaces where you can have parking, um, that might restrict it. So if you could kind of speak to um, how does parking um, requirements hold you back in your assisted living and how can you get past it?
1: Yeah, parking is an issue. So whether it's a HOA or you know a city, they can place parking restrictions on their parking requirements because, you know, that's something that needs to be attended to. So the question really is, do the rules on their face discriminate against disabled people? You know, is there a similar rule that says if you have, you know, five or three or five teenagers in your house that they all have to have off-street parking? You know, we we have... Uh, uh, family in our in our uh, group, part of our family, they have three teenagers, you know, and so that's five five cars for one family. So if there's no rule that says that a family has to have off street parking for all the adults, you can't have a rule that says that for disabled people you have to have off off street parking for all the, all the adults. That being said, however, the reality is you are going to need some more off street parking potentially because you're going to have staff, you're going to have some visitors. Um, you're probably not going to have residents that drive, um, if you're, especially if you're serving the senior population, but just keep that in mind when you're looking for a property that if you can create some additional off street parking, it's not a always a make or break thing, but if you have off street parking on your property, it's really a bonus, but you're not going to need one per resident.
0: Okay. And the last question that I want to ask you is: I, I, I own a few hundred uh, multifamily doors, and some of these communities might be like eighty apartments, if you will. And my my thought is maybe they're only paying me six or seven hundred dollars a month, maybe a thousand max per per unit. Would it be feasible to um, to take one of my apartment communities and and replace uh, eighty of my two bedrooms for 160 shared rooms and bring on uh, let's say 320 residents in an apartment community and really scale this up and change my NOI from the 200,000 to let's just call it uh, a million dollars, two million dollars a year. Is that feasible? Can I do that?
1: Regardless of the population, right? You could, you're asking, can you do that just in general with people?
0: Yeah, I mean, with like if I just take one of my giant multifamily uh, apartment communities and just decide to switch it out, switch out my tenants and I want to, instead I want to have like a residential assisted living where they have their, you know, little houses. Is that, what, is that feasible? Is that, uh, or is that just crazy?
1: No, it's not crazy at all. I mean, you have to look at, again, you got to go back to the zoning because there's going to be some density limitations. So the questions, but I don't think your you know, density limitations generally are based on what's called dwelling units. And so you have to see how a dwelling unit is defined. Usually if you have individual kitchens, that is what kind of defines the dwelling unit. So You're not actually creating more dwelling units, but you just have to look at the code and see if there's any other thing that would limit the, the density of people, because basically you're saying you're going to take that same space and make it twice as dense, right? So you have to look at the code. To uh, see that and then you have to look at the property itself and just see can it accommodate um, that population you know because you you have to have wide enough hallways for people to get through if they're in a walker or wheelchair you have to have accessible um, you don't have to have necessarily accessible bathrooms although it's a good question that size of facility it might have to comply fully with the ADA so then you're looking at some more uh, modifications um, and then you just have to look at how can staff uh, serve them and, and can you create a staffing model that can really serve people? Or do you want to make it a, um, maybe more of an independent living community, which is not regulated, and then just have a home health care agency come in to provide those services so it's not assisted living per se, but it's independent living with home health care. And then that changes the whole nature of the regulations.
0: I love that. So independent living, I'm writing this down uh, for myself because maybe we could look at that. One of the communities that we have is 83 units in Branson, Missouri. Uh, And this this city is, there's already a lot of retirees. So it would be, it may be a really good business plan for us to uh, choose to go ahead and go right after that demographic, have independent Living with, I think you said, with some staff that does what again? What does that staff do to help them kind of live? But it's a it's a hybrid between on their own and um, and assisted living. What's that? Yeah,
1: well, I mentioned home health care. So basically, people live in their individual apartments, either by themselves or with a roommate or spouse or whatever, Um, and then they have home health uh, workers come in and provide the services that they need. So they have to be at a level where they don't need such care that, that that can work. But, you know, that's, that's basically a way of creating assisted living without having a quote assisted living facility, you know, and people then can stay in their, their own spaces and they have people come in as needed kind of a on an all la cart basis. You know, maybe some people need help with one thing and other people need more help with other things, but then they can tailor the care that they're receiving to their own situation. And then it would be paid, through the home health uh, agency.
0: Okay. And what about, you You brought up earlier ADA. So, uh, would love to know what ADA means. And you brought up the wideness of the hallway. So, let's, let's just go in and talk about uh, doorways uh, as well and sprinklers and carpeting.
1: Yeah, sorry. ADA stands for Americans with Disabilities Act. So, you know, you have a lot of listeners that are probably familiar with the the accessibility requirements or ADA requirements in the code. So if you have a multifamily building, for example, which you have lots of, you have to have um, accessible pathways. You know, I think I'm not a specialist in this area when it comes to the construction part, but uh, you have to have accessible pathways through the community. So, you know, somebody can get from one side to the next if they're in a wheelchair Um, If you have two stories, you're going to need an elevator or, depending on how big the building is, multiple elevators. Um, You're going to want to look at the type of material that's on the floor because you want to avoid tripping hazards. So, you know, thresholds on doorways are really not so great. So if you can get rid of the thresholds, um, there's kind of a mix in the industry about whether you want uh, hard impermeable flooring or whether you want, you know, carpeting that is easily cleaned because sometimes, especially if you have people who have um, mobility issues or even with dementia, they tend to fall or uh, go to the floor a lot. So if you have carpet, it's a little softer, but it also could be a tripping hazard. So there's a little mix of opinion on that Um, doorway width. Again, you're going to want to have um, furniture, you know, that is Scaled to the size of old people, you know. There's a lot of uh, people in assisted living who are the the standard resident. Typically, is a over 85 year old woman. Sorry to say, but women tend to live longer, so there's more of a population of them in assisted living. So you're going to want a furniture that's not too big for them that they can move. You know, if you're pulling a chair out from a dining table, they need to be able to to move it. Um, having arms on chairs is really good, things like that. Bathrooms, of course, you're going to need uh, showers that are accessible both for people if they need devices to help them in the shower or if they have a staff person in there helping. So it has to be open, like the European-style shower that's open and with the, with the drain instead of the lip is really, really good.
0: And I, I suppose you may have said this, uh, grab bars would be a good thing to have in the bathtubs as well, right?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, grab and bars maybe by the
0: toilet or whatever so they can get up and down a little bit easier. Awesome. A lot of a lot of good info. All right, so is there we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up, but let me just ask you this. I want to get some a little bit more advice from you just because I don't know all of the right questions to ask since I'm not involved in in assisted living myself. So, I want to just first go into really some a little bit more advice on how someone can get started. And then I want to make sure that because I assume that a lot of the listeners will be resonating and saying, well, this seems like a good business model. Um, how do I reach? How do I get a hold of Michelle? So um, we'll go that way. We'll go ahead and wrap it up with some good advice and then we'll, and we'll get your, um, your best contact information. But before we do that, we have a quick word from our sponsors we'll be right back. This episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by both you And brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener. And we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. Uh, so the best
1: advice, I think one is uh, examine your motivation for wanting to be in this space. If it's just to make money, go to something else. You know, if you have a purpose also to help people because it's not just real estate, it is developing a business, an operating entity that is a helping entity That having been said, understand that you can always be part of a team. You don't have to be the one doing the operating. You can be the one investing in the real estate. You can be the one, you know, helping to put the team together. You had a great uh, workshop recently where you talked about that, about bringing different people to the team. So just understand what you would bring to this space and understand what you would need to add to the team. So that's advice number one. Um, Advice number two Uh, Get educated, you know, find someone who is uh, really good at teaching this and then go to those seminars. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Residential uh, Assisted Living Academy, which I attended and think is really, really great. Um, Involve yourself in local groups. We have one in Denver, the Denver ALR meetup, um, where we get together once a month and just share information and resources and stuff. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, and I guess it goes back to also knowing who you need on your team, recognize that there are legal issues. This is going to sound a little self serving, but it's, and it, 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 maybe it is, but this is really actually a good piece of advice. Recognize that there are legal issues involved in this uh, area and just, you know, figure out what you need to know and figure out if you need to get help with that.
0: You know, let me touch on those four things. Uh, number one, the team. I'm glad that you brought it up because um, it's been an aha moment for multifamily, and I never even considered it for assisted living, where I, I say, you don't need to do everything or know every single thing or be involved in every single thing. You could be passive. So, you're saying that there's all these different places, and one of the one of the places that you can be to have a a slice of the equity of ownership into an assisted living uh, building or business might be just being going ahead and and providing the money and collecting checks passively. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And then as far as the education, I uh, I would agree hundred percent with that. I've even known people that took the education, took some education. Uh, thought that they were invincible and and made mistakes. Um, So it's very, very, very important to get educated. And number three, you talked about the networking groups, which is important as well. If you have the education and somebody else has the education, something that I continue to be posting on my social media is all about my mastermind groups. Uh, You have one person who's smart here, you have another person who's smart here and they, when they communicate with each other, when they converse, they create a third smarter brain between them. It's called the mastermind. And when you're networking, um, you can bounce all the ideas that you thought you got from your education off with each other and other people could maybe help to correct those, uh, your misunderstanding of those concepts. And so I think that's very, very important. I love these four things of advice. And number, number four, I, I mean, I had a friend who um, can't name names, but owned multiple uh, properties. And there was some legal zoning issues that they got into. And, uh, and it was a house of cards. It all came down because they didn't have the right people on the team. So uh, really respect those four pieces of advice that you gave. Thank you for uh, eloquently um, explaining those four things to really help us to get started into assisted living if we want to. How does somebody reach out to you? How do they find you?
1: So I'll spell my last name because it's kind of hard. So it's Michelle Pinkowski, P-I-N-K-O-W-S-K-I. My uh, website is PinkowskiLaw.com. Or as I mentioned, alr-lawyer.com for assisted living residents, alr-lawyer.com. And you can send me an email, michelle at penkowskilaw.com.
0: All right, I'll put those two links into the podcast show notes right now. And so go ahead, if you're a listener, just scroll down and you'll get those two links. And again, it's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Some Michelle spell it wrong with just one L. I'm glad that you didn't do that. And then at pink, uh, pinkowski law.com. Those will be in the show notes. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. You added a ton of value to the listeners. I appreciate it. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box.